why you need to be in therapy if you're about to go through a divorce, and how do you start the process on episode number 29 of the Get Divorced Without Getting Screwed podcast. Welcome back to the show. My name is John Nocklinger. I am a recovering divorce attorney and the founder and head coach of Divorce Shield, the only company exclusively devoted to training men how to plan and crush divorce. You can find out more about us at thedivorceshield.com. Today, my guest is Bonnie Miller-Lads. She is a licensed clinical social worker and a certified divorce coach. She has been helping people for more than 30 years get through the toughest times in their life. In fact, her expertise is helping treat anxiety, depression, addiction, and trauma. All the things that people typically go through when they're going through a stressful situation like divorce. She really enjoys helping people navigate the complex emotional terrain of divorce which means she is a great person because helping people get through this time is really rough. You can learn more about her at focus-forward.com. And I'm going to put that below in the comments so that you can easily find it and you can check out her website and everything about her. Thank you for being here today, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me. It is absolutely our pleasure to have you here today. So this is such an important topic. Uh, for so many of our listeners. Divorce is hard enough. And then when you think about the ways that you need to prepare for divorce, it's even more difficult because most people are just, it's hard enough just figuring out that you'll want to get divorced. But therapy is one of those things that is often misunderstood. And I find that many men are embarrassed to even start it. So I have so many questions for you, but I want to start at the very beginning. What is a licensed clinical social worker? Um, social work is a master's in social work. Um, and then there's a, an exam, state exam that everyone takes, and then you become licensed. Um, it, and uh, social work is in part social justice work, in part psychotherapy, uh, learning about those two things. How do you use that to help people get through things like divorce? So I've had a lot of postmasters training. I've had postmasters training in trauma, postmasters training in family work. I've had postmasters training in psychodynamic psychotherapy. So after the two years of training in social work, I went on to many more years of uh, different kinds of training that would help me to better serve my clients. How did you end up Oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> uh, well, uh, yesterday was International Holocaust uh, Rem Memorial Day, 76 years after the liberation of Auschwitz. And as a child of Holocaust survivors, I always felt uh, compelled to around social justice issues and all the harm that could come from inadequate in, injustices. Um, and so I, uh, that sort of propelled me into social work. And I worked many years in community mental health. I spent 10 years in East Harlem, New York. I, that was where I worked, always keeping a private practice. Wow. Um, and I realized that uh, I can't save the world, even though I could try. <laughs> but the way I, what I can do is try to help people one person at a time. 
And uh, I then evolved into being a therapist and felt that I could help people uh, one, one person at a time. And from there, I went on to becoming a divorce coach and specializing in divorce. Um, from my own experience in divorce and having worked with a divorce coach and a therapist, both. So you, there's room for all kinds of people in the field. All right. So Bonnie, when did you start this focus forward divorce coaching and therapy business? About uh, four or five years ago. And what, why'd you start it? Was it just that you said you went through a divorce? When did that happen? Around the same time. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be, you would probably not be surprised at how many people I've spoken to, um, much like yourself, who decided to get into this area after going through their own divorce. Ah. It's, um, I think that it's one of those things where you just learn so much when you go through it and you kind of feel like, you know, other people need to know what you know and uh, experience, uh, you know, the help that you can give them from going through it. That's sort of that's sort of where I was coming from. Ah. I, I, I'm not divorced, but I've divorced people for 17 years. And so I've seen like, you know, things that people are constantly doing wrong. So thinking about therapy a little bit, do you find that men are more resistant to therapy than women? I find men are, are resistant to asking for directions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I think the idea of asking for help requires one to uh, acknowledge that they need help and that they that there's a dependency on someone else. And I think that that is a, a real shortcoming in our culture and our society, the, that we um, often don't ask for help. Sometimes that can take the form of a tutor. Sometimes that can take a form, you know, of anyone outside a doctor. Um, so psych therapy in and of itself is, in the emotional range where men are not as fluent or cult or socialized to um, use that language. So I think it's very, um, it hasn't been that friendly or, or it hasn't presented itself to be sort of men friendly in that uh, many women always have had talked their problems out. Men usually don't. They might do sports, they might do activities around socialization, but in terms of actually talking what's going on in people in their lives, I don't think that that's really sort of, men are not socialized in our culture uh, to do that. So I think the idea of going into therapy, asking for help, there is sort of a culture of stoicism, you know, I have to do this on my own. There's a real value of quote, independence. The truth is the word independence has the word dependence on it. And in order to be, in order to really be independent, what we're calling independent, doesn't mean alone. It means having healthy dependencies. And healthy dependencies is very different than alone. We're not, we're not made to be islands. We're not born alone. We're born in the context of another. It happens to be usually a mother, <laughs> you know, uh, that's, we're not we're not made to do this alone, but I think our culture somehow has uh, reinforced the value of um, independence means alone, and it really doesn't. It really, really doesn't. So when you have men that come in for therapy, um, compared to women that come in for therapy, do you find that 
women are coming in at a different place than men? In other words, are men coming in after maybe they should have come in weeks and months ago and women come in like right at the beginning of their issues? I, I think that that's uh, not just men, but I think sometimes that's true of people. I do think that men, there's enormous shame and humiliation that somehow there's a, that it somehow feels as though there's, um, there's a failure. Um, I used to say I wanted to have like a, a welcoming crew in the waiting room and everyone applaud when anyone walks in the door because the idea that to acknowledge that I need help, that I'm hurting is not, is not something that's reinforced in our culture, certainly not with men, um, and that my heart hurts. You know, if, if you ever have a loss, it's as though you're gushing blood. You know, if, if someone gets hit by a car and you see limbs being cut off and you see a gory accident, you say, oh my God, I gotta call the ambulance. But if someone's in, heart is broken, they're walking around as though nothing hurts and they're aching. If you've ever, you know, I remember going on the subway after a death and I'm thinking, doesn't anyone see I'm, I'm dying inside, I'm dying. But no one sees, no one sees the, the kinds of wounds that a divorce or a death, you know, which are crises of life, um, no one sees. So um, I, I think it takes enormous strength to ask for help and get it. So I think men specifically, in our society um, are not used to that or not valid. It's not valued. It's not uh, to be man means being independent and strong and stoic and, uh, you know, not being a wuss or whatever those things are that are fem associated with femininity, which is so terrible, just so harmful. How do you identify that you're depressed instead of just sad because you're going through a bad situation? How do you know the difference? Ah, so I, I, it's a wonderful question. So I, depression um, sometimes shows itself and with is irritability and anger and hostility, and you don't know where it's coming from. Um, it's sometimes easier to be angry than depressed, even though they're both, you know, homicide and suicide are two sides of the same coin. It's aggression outward or aggression inward. So there is a complex interrelationship between um, depression, which is sadness inside, and anger. And I think also our culture struggles with those two. Um, and certainly it's much more um, what we would say, you know, acceptable for men to be angry than sad. Um, so you can get one or the other, right? And they're both, they're, they're, they're similar. And, and, and I think the job in therapy to help modulate that, because you don't want to act it out. You don't want to drink. You don't want to do self-destructive things, right? Act aggressively towards your boss. That won't really help your situation. Certainly drugs to numb, to numb the feeling will not help. Certainly will not help. So um, depression and anger, are, are the two prominent sort of strong emotions that come into the, when it comes into divorce. Anxiety, of course, about the uncertainty, but. 
Um, you know, and, and having therapy with depression obviously is different in every person that comes in. You have to meet them where they are. But what's your opinion about people that instead of going to therapy, they really just head to a you know psychiatrist or medical doctor and say, give me some pills so that I'm not depressed anymore. Give me your opinion about that. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm certainly, um, I support whatever you can do that may, that helps. And what medication does, you know, I have a magic wand here in my office and I say, if I could do that, you would need this, you know, when is this going to get better? People say, when am I going to get over this? And I wish I, I wish I had a pill to get over it. The grief, the loss, the, all, all the things that, that happen in the context of a divorce. Psychotropic medication is valuable, can be valuable. It can take the edge off so you're not bouncing around. You maybe can sleep better, but it doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't, it doesn't solve the problem. Um, you know, it's sort of treating a symptom, but not the cause. Um, and I think that, that, that it, it, it's, it can be useful, but it's not the answer. Certainly not in the context of a divorce where there's so much of life that needs to be managed. The financial, you know, the parenting and the relationship, the communication. A pill doesn't do that. I wish it did, but we don't have that yet. We, you know, we're, we're struggling on a vaccine, you know, <laughs> sort of. Like, but we just don't have that. And, and, and it, it's the context of the, what it means to be human and vulnerable. And with another person and relationship, it can't be done in a pill. Just then we would be robots, I think. Yeah, we yeah. definitely yeah. would be robots. Uh, once we develop that magic pill, be sure you give it to everybody, all right? <laughs> I'm personalizing that, that one. <laughs> Especially during COVID, I think there's a lot of people that would love that magic pill. <laughs> so what are some of the signs that you're heading towards depression? Irritability. Um, mood swings. Of course, you know, lethargic, oversleeping, undersleeping, um, can't concentrate, restlessness. Um, you know, thoughts of hurting yourself often, um, not getting pleasure from things that you used to get pleasure from eating, not eating, you're sort of not taking care of your physical being, your body. Um, yeah, sort of a malaise and it can get worse. You know, that, that sometimes people can't get out of bed, you know, clinical depression. And I think what differentiates a sadness, a sort of temporary uh, feeling bad, sad, versus clinical depression is different. And I think that's also some, some of the resistance to therapy is that, oh, my God, I have a mental illness. I don't need that. I can handle my problems. You know, that's for those people. And I think that that's also, I think mental illness comes with its stigma and therapy comes with that stigma still uh, that, that that makes me, quote, sick. Um, and I'm not one of those. I've been doing well all these years. I have a family. And I think that to recognize that there's a temporary state of crisis that life brings us. And oftentimes divorce is one of the major ones. 
Um, and it doesn't necessarily define one as being mentally ill. And I think that that is also resistance of what, um, of what it means to walk into a therapist's office, you know? Sure. On and on and on, but. No, I don't feeling that people have that if you go to a therapist, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. I would say there's something right with you. I would agree. I, I know you won't disagree with this, but I think most people would benefit from therapy. Um, just working through, particularly the things that you're not really conscious of, or you've really suppressed so much that they impact you in the ways you were just talking about, you know, that you're irritable, that you're sleeping too much, you're not sleeping enough, you're not getting pleasure, and you're kind of just dismissing it as, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I'm going through this thing, you know, this thing at work, this thing in my marriage, you know, I've got a kid who's frustrating me, and it's just doing that, when it's really could be something a lot more. So what could you do at home, you know, before you go to therapy or even while you're at therapy, what are some of the like, I'll say, uh, do it yourself things that you can do just in your daily life to sort of help you when you're feeling depressed? I think the idea is to take things in small chunks, right? A divorce is a huge thing. My, you know, sort of, it feels like a pandemic. How are we going to do this? You know, it, it shakes up every aspect of someone's life, living situation, financial, children, everything. So I do think that one way to really manage, and sometimes I'll say to clients, 10 minutes at a time, just tell me what you're doing in the next, when we hang up, what do we, you know, just getting through 10 minutes, small chunks, make two phone calls. You know, it's kind of like, when am I going to get over this? Well, that's not going to, that, that getting over this is a big thing. It's a leap. It's 10 minutes at a time. Sometimes, sometimes it's an hour at a time. Sometimes it's a meeting with a boss. How are you going to get through it and stay focused? Sometimes people have to get a new job. How are they going to interview when their whole life is falling apart? You know, <laughs> so get through the interview. Let's practice. So what I would say, you know, if there's a, uh, a very small, small chunks, break things down into small chunks little bit at a time. It's the only, it's the only way to do it. And you know, one thing that people don't think enough about is if you don't help yourself by doing what you just said or going to therapy, how can you really be there for your kids and for other people in your life? Uh, people are always trying to figure out what they need to do for their kids. You know, and that frequently is, oh, my kids need to be in therapy. My kids need to be doing that. And they don't even think about the fact that they might be part of the thing that's going on in their children's lives. And then the children see them as having all these problems. Uh, and I don't think enough men think about that enough. Um, you know, I think it impacts kids if they see their dad, you know, uh, just withdrawing from the world and spending time in a basement or you know, a lot of guys call it a man cave, but, you know, spending time somewhere away from their family, it really can start to impact the family. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the old, we do it on, we used to do it on, well, we flew more frequently on an airplane. You put the oxygen mask on yourself first. They say that every time you take off on a plane and then you put it on, that's, it's the same, it's the same exact uh, philosophy that you got to save yourself. And sometimes it is literally breathing, breathing room. 
you know, the oxygen. Sometimes it, it as as basic as letting yourself breathe and you know giving yourself that air to breathe. In the basement, in the man cave, is not there's not much air. That's I love that that you just uh, had about putting the oxygen mask on yourself first. That is that's great. That's great stuff because that's something everyone can relate to. I mean, that's something you can easily understand what we're talking about here. Let's pretend we're in an airplane and go up to a 40,000 foot <laughs> So what is, let's, get, let's move on to sort of the next thing that happens a lot when people are starting to go through a divorce. And uh, that is abusing substances. Typically it's alcohol, but it could also be drugs. So let's start with sort of a preliminary question. What is the difference between let's use alcohol for now. What's the difference between abusing alcohol and actually having an addiction to alcohol? Wonderful, excellent question. Sometimes it's alcohol, drugs, and sex, sexual addiction. And so it, um, when the solution to a problem, right? I'm have a stressful day, I'm gonna have a drink. Okay, when the solution to the problem becomes the problem itself, I can't be without the drink. I need it. It's, it's a compulsion. It's a compulsive uh, feeling that you must have it. That's an addiction, that you need it. Like cigarettes, it could be addict gambling. You, when the solution, when you think, when you think the solution, a perceived solution, becomes the problem itself, it becomes, it's, it's an addiction. Would you say that like you need, um, you need to have alcohol just to uh, be able to relax at night and you start to realize you're doing that all the time, is that the time you should go get some help before it turns into the addiction? Or where's the line between you know, just you're, you're having, you know, you're having a glass of wine or two at night just to um, calm yourself down versus, you know, you're really on that slippery slope headed towards the situation that can destroy your entire family. Well, I, I think when you want to have a glass of wine or you need to have a glass of wine, those are two different things. When you need it um, and without it, there's a restlessness, there's a unsteadiness, you feel uh, that you can't manage. Um, and you can, and that's with any kinds of external, when you don't have, feel like you have the internal resources to manage your feelings. Um, when you don't have, the, and, and that's what therapy, where therapy can help because with a therapist, you can learn how to do that. And not all of us have it all the time. We're not born knowing. And unless we're taught, sometimes we never, we're never taught. We're never, ne never get it. I was just about to be, how do you treat someone who has an addiction problem? And I think what you just said is sort of the answer to the question, which is you have to teach them a different way to work through their issues, a, give them a different way to solve their problems. And I guess that's at its core what therapy is, right? Helping Absolutely. people how to problem solve in a healthier way and how to get through situations. Have you, since you work with a lot of people going through divorce, do you see a lot of substance abuse issues in your practice? 
Yeah, and sexual addiction often. Um, in you know, I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. I work uh, virtually, but I've been uh, working with in a clinic that specializes in sexual addiction. So it's the same. It's the same compulsive piece that gets interferes in someone's life. The other piece is how much does it interfere in your life, right? Some people drink a bottle of wine and the next morning can't get up to go to work or can't function or have, you know. So the other piece of addiction is how much does it interfere in your life? Sometimes people will act out sexually and they feel terrible, terrible afterwards. Why did I do that? Such shame and remorse. It's not, it's not a healthy way to manage feelings of fears of being alone. Oftentimes the attachment to an, uh, an external uh, source like alcohol or drugs, sex feels as though it's um, a lover. It's, it's, it's a reliable um, substance that makes you, soothes you. Right, it's it's a wonder. It's a wonderful mistress. It's wonderful. Alcohol is wonderful. Drugs are alcohol. They're always there. Sometimes they're more expensive. Sometimes they're not, and they soothe you. They make you feel better about yourself. But it doesn't really solve the problem. It doesn't really solve the problem. Um, so it's 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 almost sometimes instead of a human being. So I think it, it makes sense in the context of a divorce where the attachment is disrupted between the primary attachment between two partners is disrupted. You go to the next thing that makes you feel good. I can see how, you know, you're masking your issues with, you know, drugs or alcohol can really just self-enforce the downfall of the marriage anyway. And, um, you know, without, fixing the problem, you know, not because not every situation, and this is something that I talk a lot about, not every situation requires you to get divorced. I mean, there's a lot of situations where you really just need to be in marital uh, couples therapy where you guys can work through things. Uh, but a lot of guys in particular, instead of trying to go that direction, do use things like drugs and alcohol and isolation and whatnot, just so they don't have to deal with the situation. Um, I talk a lot about the fact that, um, you know, women will tell men what's going, what they're upset about. You know, I don't like it when you do this, that, or the other thing, but they don't threaten their husbands a lot of times. You know, if you don't change, I'm going to divorce you. But the underpinning is whenever, you know, whenever someone tells you that, it's because it's really upsetting them. And a lot of men will just, you know, brush it off saying, eh, she's just having a bad day. You know, it's just something going on and not really look at, you know, what's going on in the marriage. I think a lot of guys like to stick their head in the dirt and just not see what's going on, which is why I think a divorce for a lot of guys, they will say surprises them that it's come up. Because they they did not observe what's going on. Have you observed some of those issues in your practice in dealing with people going through a divorce? Absolutely. That uh, more divorces are initiated by women. And I do think that there is a sense of denial that, uh, you know, even though it might have been going on for 10 years, 
but there is a sense that she won't actually act on it. Um, and I think that that, uh, again, is hiding behind some something that, you know, keeps you stuck. If, and, and that denial really leaves you sort of blindsided and you don't know where to begin. And you're sort of then caught with all this stuff that divorce, you know, presents. Uh, there's no preparation, whereas sometimes it's the partner who has done, you know, sort of the preparation already, emotional and financial, maybe. Uh, you know, I think historically marriage has favored men in many ways. You know, some would say, you know, the relationship expert Esther Perel, she has said that uh, uh, marriage was originally uh, a contract between two men, a father and, and you know, around how, how their uh, land was going to be passed on through the generations. So they would get a daughter and that's how they would do it. That it was not necessarily, it was an economic, an economic arrangement historically. So why now? Well, one could say the women's movement, in part, when women have gained increased uh, economic opportunities. Um, and again, yeah, I would probably say that that probably started it in the 70s, 60s, that the women's movement has uh, helped women feel more empowered to leave a marriage, which was originally, if you use this theory, an economic arrangement. The thing that I've seen a lot, which is I think that men are more apt just to feel comfortable and women really would like to be happy. And, huh. uh, and I, I see that quite a bit. And that's that whole, uh, you know, if a, if a guy can, you know, go to work, come home, have dinner made for them, sit on the couch and have a beer and watch TV and go to bed and do the same thing the next day, I think a lot of guys can convince themselves that they're, that makes them happy, even though they're really not happy about it. Uh. And women, women just, uh, and I think you said this earlier, a lot of women do prepare for divorce um, before they actually start, before they tell their husbands, I want a divorce, but it doesn't always manifest itself as, you know, formal preparation. Sometimes they, it's just them talking to their friends, going and seeing a therapist, you know, doing little things slowly over time that sort of get them in the right emotional place to go through the process. Whereas guys, it's kind of, you know, their first instinct usually is, oh my gosh, I'm getting divorced. How much money am I going to have to give to her? Like it always goes right to money first. Whereas women are very much more, am I going to be okay? You know, I know I need this. Am I going to be okay? It's just very interesting how men and women look at divorce so differently. It's, it's very interesting. What have you seen? Well, I think that's accurate. I, I you know, I think men, um, women are, there is a little bit more, obviously we're uh, raised to think more emotionally about feelings. We're socialized. Some might say it's even biological that men's biology is pretty concrete. No surprises if you ever had a little boy, it's right there, right? An infant, you know? Little girls, it's a little bit more diffuse. It's a little bit more complicated. It's, a, uh, it's not so, it's not con as concrete. 
Um, and I think that we're sort of, it's both an inter, 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 interconnection between in the environment and our sort of our biology. I think we, as we're sort of socialized to think emotionally or, you know, men are socialized to think about, you know, success around money um, and how that's going to play itself out. Um, which is sort of the, if you translate, it means, am I going to be okay? It's the same thing, but it's, it's just a different way to, 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 to describe it, I think. Yeah, I think that's manifest sometimes with men is get starting when they start a divorce, a lot of times it's because they found somebody else. So they, they feel like they're going to be okay because I found somebody else. So now I can divorce my wife. Uh, it's really amazing. You know, I've done a lot of divorces in my career as a divorce attorney, and it's amazing. The guys that come in and want to start their divorce, how many of them already have somebody else that they're romantically with? Because it's, you know, it's that, you know, now they feel like they're going to be okay because they got somebody else, you know, lined up, so to speak. And until they feel that comfort level, a lot of guys won't start a divorce. And women, it's just much more, I'm just not happy. I'm just uh -huh. not happy with my situation. You know, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I mean, I would say the one thing that holds women back a lot of times is their children. Uh -huh. and not wanting to um, leave the marriage until the children are, you know, out of the house. And they're always afraid of damaging their kids. And of course, I, I'm sure you tell people this as well, that, you know, your children are seeing in watching their parents what a marriage is like. And so you're training the next generation to make the same mistakes you're making if you don't do something about it. Have you had that conversation with people before? Yeah, and it's, it's a very, very complicated, very, very complicated. And I do think that uh, monkey see, monkey do often or not, you know? Yeah, I, well, that's, why, that's why you see sometimes um, a, a men that abuse women um, you see their sons also learn how to abuse women or control women. I don't want to always say it's it's uh, direct physical abuse, but, you know, control women. And, you know, you know, you're my property. I control you. I mean, I control the money. I, you know, you can only go to the grocery store with this amount of money and only buy this. And, you know, you teach your kids what's going on. I'm not saying that anyone should, you know, not leave a marriage or leave a marriage just to make sure your kids understand <laughs> the right and wrong way to do things, but it's certainly something you should be thinking about, and, especially and, uh, when therapy is available for you to go and work through these issues. And I don't know why more people don't avail themselves of therapy. Do you, I mean, we talked a little bit before you did say you think it's a, it's a little bit about the fact that people just don't want to admit they have a problem and they're afraid of seeing themselves as, you know, be, being depressed or being labeled as something. Is there anything more fundamental of why we don't go to therapy when we really need it? I guess you could also say it's whenever you've got, you know, any kind of medical condition and we don't go see a doctor. Is it as simple as we just don't want to learn that something's wrong with us? You know, I think our culture has been, you know, historically mental people who who suffered emotionally were put in dungeons and chained. You know, I think there's a real fear uh, you know, now, you know, I was reading about the doctors on the front line and all the medical 
uh, personnel who's been on the front lines um, in hospitals. You know, who would? They're, it's like they're going to have scars at war, you know, but the shame, the shame around it. I'm depressed to even write it down. You know, I'm depressed. I can't, you know, that I need mental health day. You know, there's still such shame and stigma. It's unbelievable. And, and I think similarly around divorce, you put those two together. It's, <laughs> you're, you know, the shame, it's, it's terrible. It's just awful. You know, I worked, as I said, in East Harlem. And when I would see these young kids, these kids who were raised in, you know, sort of in very impoverished uh, environments, kids who were in gangs, walk into the door, you know what, they would come with their hoodies way over so no one could see them, you know, uh, there's such shame. People will brag, I saw my cardiologist today, I saw, I went to, you know, the endocrinologist and, oh, you should hear what he said and I should take a little bit of this and I should take a little bit of this. No one does that, certainly not men, right? I went to my therapist and, oh, you should hear what they said. Women are more apt to do that. And in New York, they certainly will talk about therapy in a way. But outside, it's not, it's not uh, acceptable. It's really, there's still shame. Shame around feeling that I'm, I'm hurting and I don't know how to figure it out and I need help. I think that's absolutely something that a lot of people need to listen, rewind, listen to what you just said again. And, th and look in the mirror and say, is that me? Am I doing that? Um, so let's assume, let's assume that you recognize that therapy would benefit you. What would you, what would you tell someone should be their first step in how to find a therapist? Who, who's going to help me? How do you do it? I think that's also an issue. I think there are barriers. So the, the also about therapy is that insurance can pay for it. I mean, it's, 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 People think it's only for the wealthy. It's not. It's not. Insur usually, most insurance plans will pay a portion of therapy. And that's good to know because they have, people are on panels. And if you can't ask around, I think it's something to shop for, like you shop for anything else. Make sure it's a right fit. You know, credentials are important, but not as important as a fit. And I think you have to shop around, go on three interviews. I always say, go on three interviews, see how it feels, see how you feel. Did it make sense for you? Did you feel better afterwards? If you don't, move on. There's, you know, other therapists. Certainly, you know, now virtually we have more things at our fingertips. Um, so I, so how, you know, People can go to their insurance plans if they have insurance. Word of mouth, ask people. You know, it's it's a community, so people know people. There's you can prefer a man, you can prefer a woman, you can prefer someone who's experienced with divorce, someone who's never been divorced, someone over 45, someone who's under 22. You know, there's you can select just like you do a doctor, and it's very important because it's your life. It's really an important. Don't be um, don't don't settle. Don't settle for something that you're, well, I don't know if she's really that good, or I don't know if he's really that good. Get someone who you feel is good, because you know what? It's really important. It's decisions in your life that you're going to have to make. And it has to be someone who you feel that you can trust, who can help you. I've gone to a therapist where I've been with them for a month and then realized that it's not a good fit. Um, just, you know, not really feeling like I was being heard. 
And if you don't feel like you're being heard with a therapist, there, how in the world is that person going to help you? I mean, it's just not going to happen. I mean, you could say the same thing for really just about anything. I mean, even a medical doctor, you go to a medical doctor who you don't feel is actually listening to you, that's trying to rush you out the door. There are other people. I mean, divorce attorneys, you know, you should, you should go around and find somebody you know, these things are so important. And uh, in a lot of ways, you know, you only live once. You, you know, you don't have another life to get it right the next time. You know, you need to take action and do it now and fix your life now. Because uh, like with addiction, if you don't deal with it, if you don't deal with depression, uh, those things can haunt you for years and years and years. Those are those those guys and, and women who get divorced and, you know, they they don't go out and do anything for a year or two because they just can't function. They're in their house and they can't function because, and they'll tell you divorce ruined me. Divorce destroyed me. No, it didn't destroy you. You didn't do anything to help yourself. You didn't do anything to try to pull yourself out of that pit that you got yourself in. Um, and it's always the blame. You know, it's, it's my husband's fault. It's my wife's fault. And I think, I don't know if you've seen this a lot, but one thing that I harp on all the time with my clients is you have to take responsibility for your own life. And if you don't take responsibility, just stop talking because I don't want to hear how everybody else is doing something wrong. And you're the perfect angel who has done absolutely nothing and you're an innocent victim in the entire thing. Have you had to have that conversation with people before? I, I mean, this, that's an issue in therapy in terms of how someone can feel that they are empowered or have, uh, they are empowered enough to take control, right? Those feelings start early, very early on of feeling whether you have the, the, the ability empowered to do what needs to be done. Bonnie, if anyone would want to work with you, how would they contact you and go about doing that? My website, you can call me. My phone number is on there, my email. Um, that's probably the best way. All right. We'll get all the information in the comments so that people have access to it. Um, it's This has been a great conversation, Bonnie. I'm not going to lie. I really would like to talk to you a lot longer because I have a lot more questions. And I think a lot of people, men and women, need to really um, hone in on what therapy is. And I think you touched on it a lot today, what it is and what it isn't and how it benefits people. But I, I think that it's hard. It's almost abstract to a lot of people. It's almost like they need to do it to understand how it helps them. So it's almost like, you know, go and just try it and you'll understand how it will help you. And I, I just think that you really are helping so many people go through divorce and come out the other side, you know, a whole person. And at the end of the day, that is what's most important is just being a whole person when you get through this horrible time in your life. So if anyone, uh, wants to talk to Bonnie and could use her help, I encourage you to reach out to her. Um, she's got so much experience handling these really difficult issues, as you heard today. All right. Thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you. It was our pleasure. Thank you, John. I appreciate you putting this on your agenda also, that it's so important. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay. We'll see everyone soon.